Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and the planet. I'm Kevin Fulton, and today is a little bit of a different episode. I'm speaking with Matt Ward, who is a serial entrepreneur, an angel investor, and author, uh, author of Gods of the Valley. And Matt does a variety of different media um, uh, events and opportunities that uh, both on Medium as well as his own podcast. And the uh, reason I wanted to have Matt on is because he has some very interesting views about the future and where things are going, both in uh, health as well as agriculture and maybe even some good thoughts on biotechnology. So welcome to the podcast, Matt. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Glad to um, chat. Yeah, this is really nice. I know that um, you know, you've had guests on your podcast that talk about the the fringy edges of technology and where technology meets, uh, you know, modern society. And I think that your um, view is that there is kind of a quickening going on to steal Art Bell's term, um, that there is kind of a uh, acceleration that's happening that we're really not appreciating. And, And can you really expand on that? Yeah. So essentially we've lived in an era in the past where there were different things happening and everything was kind of happening in a standalone sense. We've expanded beyond that point. We're living in an accelerated era of exponential technology. So artificial intelligence is driving biotech and genetic research faster. The genetic research is going to be driving humanity to have much more processing power, so to speak. Everything that's happening and all of the technologies around us from quantum computing and AI to genetics and uh, just processing power Each of these separate Moore's laws, so to speak, is building upon each other. So everything is accelerating at a faster rate than most people are able to comprehend. I know if you look in biotechnology, if you look in the genetic space, those aren't following Moore's laws type uh, doubling numbers. They're doubling every two, three, six months. And that's absurd. And that's just kind of the era that we're living in. And it's, it's just kind of the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Well, what do you think are the central drivers of that very rapid change? Connectivity. So you have a lot of smart people connected. You have AI and compute power. So between GPUs and then uh, online uh, cloud compute, so Amazon cloud services, Google's AI modules, et cetera, you're able to take in a ton of data. You're able to make uh, measurements more quickly and you're able to bring together large groups of smart people. So for instance, 20 years ago, this conversation wouldn't have happened unless we'd met at a a networking event on accident and somehow had business cards. Now we're able to find each other online and have a conversation which never never would have happened, which could inspire, I don't know how large your podcast is, but thousands, tens of thousands of people to look into different topics. And all of those accelerants make, make, the, make the 20%, the, the humanity that actually takes action, significantly more impactful, in my opinion. Yeah, that's really interesting. So the other thought on that is, you know, if it's going really fast because of this interconnectivity, 
what are the bottlenecks? Like, what slows this down? Regulation. Um, I, I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think we're both of the opinion that a lot of the big changes that are going to dem- uh, just demonstrably uh, control the this century, the the twenty second. We're 22nd century. I, I'm terrible with the, the dates and the numbers and such. This century will be will be China and less regulated areas, Singapore, et cetera. So if you look at driverless cars, if you look at AI, if you look at biotech, if you look at pharma, if you look at things that traditionally uh, U.S. and Western values don't entirely like to get involved in or like to attribute to some type of higher being, if you look at those type of things, China has none of those morals, none of those qualms. They're willing to do whatever it takes to win. This is why China can cut their... Fuel, fossil fuel emissions by the amount that the UK wanted to cut theirs for the entire Paris Accords and China can do it in six months or a year. It's, it's absurd what they're able to do. They can build impossibly long bridges and do it in minuscule timeframes because when you have a country that is both enormous, powerful, wealthy, and has a very strong authoritarian regime where people just do what they're supposed to do and what they're told, you have something that out, seems to outperform capitalism, at least within the last... 20, 30, 40 years. Now, when you look at growth, that's certainly the case. But, you know, look, look at it. Maybe the best example that exemplifies what you're talking about is the Three Gorges Dam. Do you know this thing? I don't, but I could, I could guess it just from living in China <laughs> and seeing how things happen. Yeah, it was, well, they had a, uh, they wanted to generate hydroelectric power and uh, they had to dam the Yangtze River out in the middle of nowhere. And they did this out in a place called Ichung, which was just a region, um, you know, intersection of two roads that now is a, a, a city of millions. They basically built this dam and a city to serve it and moved uh, millions of people out of what would become a floodplain. It just was this tremendous feat of engineering to build this kilometers long dam that now generates a third of the country's electric. I mean, it's, but it, that's the kind of stuff they can do. They have the most wind energy production worldwide as well by a massive landfall. It's, it's very crazy what they're able to do. And I think a big part of it isn't just the authoritarian regime. It's also the fact that they're willing to invest in the future. They recognize we've been behind. If you look historically throughout the history of humanity, China has been the dynasty of the world. That we're, in, we've, we're living in an era now which is not the norm. Typically, China has been one of, if not the most powerful areas on Earth. And now they're becoming that again. But China's willing to put energy, put energy, put resources into better internet speeds, better energy connections, better transportation. They have cities that are getting rid of all of the vehicles. They have people that are enhancing themselves, focused on AI, focused on biotech. I had a friend that was just there, and he said in one square block on a city, there were 56 different startup accelerators. 56. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it's, it's completely absurd. And then you contrast that with other, other countries, specifically the U.S., where we can't invest on improving Wi-Fi. We can't invest on improving healthcare, We can't invest on any of these things because we have to spend all of our money on the military. I, I see countries that focus on the right things, that focus on education, that focus on the future. I see them winning in the long term. And that's what I see China doing for better and for worse. So specifically in biotechnology space, is there anything that you've had your finger on uh, in terms of like maybe gene editing or anything in biotechnology, food, animals, medicine? I would say when it comes to food, China is definitely not in the lead. I think a lot of the people there are less in touch with what seems to be better uh, long-term health and performance aspects. But in terms of genetics and uh, bioengineering, I think China... It just has less regulation, so they're willing to try things out. They can do it with government backing, and they have 
I, I mean, it's terrible to say, but they have enough people that you can experiment without having massive problems. It's like Russia during the World War One and World War Two. They were sending their soldiers to battle without without um, guns because they realized they could pick one up off their dead comrade. If China wanted to play a similar game with people, they could. Oh, that's a that's an interesting take. It's a little bit gloomy at the same time. It is. But... It is. It is definitely gloomy. But I think uh, I think it's worth putting out there because just based off of based based off of what I've seen from the country. I think they are willing to make those type of calculated bets that other other countries that have to have to follow democratic ideals aren't able to make just because well, other than our more recent president aren't able to make because of the just political backlash. China doesn't have the backlash. Well, they also have a substantial underclass that doesn't have any power, and you know the things that uh, affect policy ultimately. Uh, or the policies that are made that could have those effects wouldn't affect the people who are making the policy. Exactly. And I'm not saying I support this or I like this. I'm just, I, I like to say it how it is. No, you're just, you're just pointing it out, right? So along the same line, when you look in places like the States or, you know, the rest of the world that is starting to see the edges of technology enter areas like healthcare, now, how do you see things like personalized medicine and uh, everybody kind of getting their genetic fingerprint right out of the womb? I think our healthcare system in the U.S. right now is a joke. We're treating sick people, waiting for them to become expensive and getting ready to die and trying to keep them there as long as possible because that's what makes the most money. It's cynical to say, but I think it's true. I think we definitely need to move towards a personalized medicine approach. If I'm able to look at your genetics, your epigenetics, your microbiome, and see what's wrong and track that over time, I'm able to much more easily say, oh, it looks like, uh, Kevin, I think, you're eating, uh, I think you're eating a little bit too much bread, or it looks, like, um, it looks like you might need to be exercising a little bit more. Are you not sleeping very well? All of, the, all of the technology that's coming into monitoring, both from blood, urine, saliva, et cetera, and then also the, the wearables, the trackers, the Fitbits, things like that. As we start to pull in more and more data, I think we're going to be able to have vastly improved health outcomes. I think to be able to do that, you need to overhaul the existing system with uh, the, the three-payer. Uh, basically, you have a payer, you have a provider, and you have a person who's receiving the care because no one directly feels the, the harm of increasing costs. No one directly has to pay for what they're receiving. All of the costs just continue to rise because no one really cares. Insurance companies... They, they realize that uh, doctors realize that insurance companies are only going to pay 20% of whatever they bill, so they 5x whatever the cost is. And that's the reason why in the, the U.S. has some of the worst outcomes in the first world when it comes to healthcare and far and away the most expensive uh, healthcare per GDP. And, you know, this is kind of what's interesting about this is that most of the time we talk about technology, technology comes along and actually makes things less expensive in a lot of cases. Like, look at, uh, you know, the cost of food has always been, is, is been pretty stagnant um, for a long time as part of, uh, part of income. It's actually gone down. And look at what you, you can get in a car nowadays relative to what you could get before as, as terms of, in terms of uh, as a percent of your annual income. And so why is technology driving, or do you think that technology will have the effect of driving healthcare costs down ultimately, or do you think it's going to continue to rise? There's only two industries that have risen in cost over the past few decades, and they're the ones that are most highly regulated, education and healthcare. And I don't think that's any coincidence. I, I would like to see changes in the healthcare system. So 
I was listening to a fascinating podcast. They've actually stopped the podcast, uh, Exponent, um, Ben, Ben Thompson. But essentially, they looked at the reason for the healthcare problem in the U.S. And what happened was, during World War II, the, the government set a limit on the amount you could pay people. Because when suddenly all of these men went overseas to fight, all of these women suddenly had to get these jobs. And the companies had to try to attract them. There wasn't a lot of talent. So the prices kept going up and up and up. The government was worried about what would happen to the economy. So they said, this is a flat rate. You cannot pay people more than this. So companies came up with uh, the health insurance through your providers, uh, through your employer scheme. And that scheme allowed you to add more benefits that didn't go over this certain threshold. Because of that, fast forward to today, the U.S. is like the only first world country where your, your company is essentially has you handcuffed because that's where your health care is. It means that we have less opportunity for entrepreneurs to go out and start new things, less opportunity to take risk. And we also have a system where, as opposed to people or the government having some type of regulation over what gets priced and what they're deciding on having, it's something where the companies, it's just disconnected enough that the prices continue to rise. So that's kind of where the problem came from in terms of how to fix it. I know Amazon Amazon has their thing now with, uh, with J, um, what's the companies? Um, Berkshire Hathaway and I think JP Morgan. Amazon's looking at doing some type, something in the healthcare space. I think you're going to need a tech player to come in and completely disrupt the existing, the existing infrastructure because it's just absurdly expensive for pretty, pretty, pretty terrible outcomes. But is that reality? I think that you're going to see, um, and this is a really interesting idea, is that you know, everybody talks about consolidation and things like the seed industry where you have, uh, you know, it used to be the big 10 and then it's the big six and now it's probably the big three where all of these big giant seed companies are buying each other up and becoming just larger and larger companies. But I don't know that that's going to be where the future is going here. How long before um, Bayer or Dow or BASF or one of these big seed companies or any of the healthcare companies are bought up by Amazon or Apple or any of the other, you know, gigantic tech companies? I would say a lot of, I would say the tech companies are smarter than most of industry. If I was Amazon, I'm not sure I would want to buy a health company because I would have to go through the existing infrastructure. So if you look at just Amazon's employee base internationally or even in the U.S., they, they're at, what, hundreds of thousands at this point. If you look at how Amazon operates any business model from AWS, which is the hosting that 70% of the web is run off of, or Amazon's marketplace, which is something like 13% of, uh, sorry, Amazon's, Amazon's 50, 60% of e-commerce, I think, in the U.S., and that's 5 to 5 to 7% of overall U.S. commerce. What they do is they open up their, their platform. They start with their own product, servicing their own thing. They started selling eBooks. They start, they start AWS to, to run Amazon. They do all of these things, and then they open it up to the public once they've built the systems and are able to scale that up. I would like to see, and I would really like to hope that that's what they're doing now with healthcare in terms of scaling this up. They have their own employees. They're setting up their own insurance options, their own clinics, et cetera. And then starting to offer that to the masses. So disruption through a, through a different means as opposed to an acquisition. But so, I, I could see them buying a healthcare company. They have so much money. How much of that disruption do you think will involve um, what we always have looked at or what some people really look at as um, kind of very carefully guarded privacies? Like, you know, you can't have my DNA information. You know, like a lot of people are, you know, I'll spit in a tube to send it. 23 and me, no problem. I don't care. But some people really freak out about that. And how much do you think that a company like if Amazon was to create a disruptive um, entity or disruptive 
healthcare entity, how much of that would be based on you must surrender your DNA and uh, wear an implantable device that monitors your blood pressure, heart rate, uh, blood alcohol content, you know, that that would be part of the deal. I'm not sure, but I know. So if you, if you contrast the U S and Europe, I think a big difference, the U S has so much more paperwork. That's where all of the costs for healthcare comes in. It's pretty much paperwork where, why are we using paper anyways? That's another question, but, but Europe has significantly less. And I think a lot of this is due to regulation, but a lot of it's also due to, for lack of a better term, the, the lawsuit happy culture of the U S if something goes wrong, I'm going to sue you until you're bleeding on the ground kind of deal in Europe. They don't have that nearly as much yet. They have much better consumer privacy. So if you look at GDPR and a lot of what they're doing in Europe, they're leading the way in terms of consumer privacy, yet they don't have to have all of this extra paperwork, et cetera, to make sure things aren't going wrong with consumer privacy. I think that type of model is ultimately one that would win out. Now, how exactly we implement this? I think ultimately going forward, healthcare should be something where you do have pretty much continuous monitoring for a lot of things. What I would be really excited about would be like a smart toilet so it can analyze what you're eating and what's happening in there on a daily basis and help you with becoming healthier, living longer, et cetera. Now, does that data go to your healthcare provider to change your premiums? Probably not because most people aren't going to be game with that. But does that healthcare data go into your healthcare provider so that they can set you up for screens, et cetera? Because if they're able to catch cancer 30 years early, you're spending 99% less money, if anything, on, on curing it, on fixing it. If you're able to detect these type of problems early, there's so much less cost that goes to, into it that the healthcare companies, the insurance companies, et cetera, could still make a lot of money doing it without necessarily being um, monopolistic bastards, so to speak. Well, we'll just look at the um, modern trends in genetic analysis and looking at things like BRCA type cancers. So there are those mutations that some people carry that uh, automatically predispose them to a higher likelihood of specific cancers. And so you have women who are doing uh, prophylactic mastectomies so because their chances are so high that they would have a metastatic breast cancer that they have that tissue removed and uh, and use reconstruction to to obtain um, what is considered to be normal body image and normal normal um, body type and you know the, the this kind of thing I think is going to become more and more prevalent, especially as we begin to really understand what different um, genetic factors are controlling potential carcinogenicity and uh, and be able to make those adjustments. And this is a good spot to take a brief break. We're talking with Matt Ward, who's a serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and podcast host, and sharing his thoughts about the future of technology. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll be back right after this <laughs> potentially entertaining commercial. <laughs> down I-70 between Kansas City and Denver for a long time. I could use a frosty beverage, and then you can drive. Let's pull off at the next exit. Wait, that's Grove 50. 
Isn't that the same road as Main Street in Hoxie, Kansas? Sure is. And you know what Hoxie, Kansas means? A&C Liquid Assets. A&C Liquid Assets. Western Kansas Happy Oasis. The buckle smack dab in the middle of the corn belt, where you can stop and get a belt of your favorite adult beverages. Oh, I love that place. I could really go for a crafty beer, or maybe we could buy some stuff to make some cocktails. Later, that is, when we safely get to Denver. That's right, and you won't find any of those Smirnoff products there. Why not? Doesn't Smirnoff make popular priced spirits and libations? Well, they do. But they also recently ran that pandering, condescending ad with Ted Danza. And that other person. You know, the one where they proudly announced that Smirnoff products are GMO-free. Yes, uh, that made me puke and laugh at the same time. But why would ANC Liquid Assets not carry Smirnoff because of that silly commercial? It's because they support farmers. And farmers make the grains that go into fermented adult beverages. And they support a farmer's right to implement the most useful seeds and production strategies they can find to sustainably grow their crop. That might include GMO seeds that Smirnoff doesn't support. It's a way of voting with dollars. Wow, that's a no-brainer. No Smirnoff for me either. Why would anyone in science or farming use a Smirnoff product since they actively campaign against farming with the guy from Three Men and a Baby. Caught me. <laughs> I think he looks like Anderson Cooper's dad. But that's the place where I want to burn my hard-earned beverage dollars. A&C Liquid Assets. A&C Liquid Assets? Conveniently located, almost sort of exactly between Denver, Kansas City, Colorado Springs, and Wichita, at 1043rd Street in beautiful Hoxie, Kansas. Check them out on Facebook at ANC Liquid Assets. And we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast with uh, Matt Ward. Uh, Matt is a serial entrepreneur and angel investor, and by serial entrepreneur, not someone who's inventing the next Captain Crunch, but the next person who, or someone who's uh, coming up with the next big ideas. And here's the rest of the interview. I guess going back to EU, here's my next question would be, you know, here they are very progressive in some aspects of medicine and some aspects of administration of medicine. But what about how they've really turned their nose up on technology like gene editing and have said, you know, no thanks, not for us. We're going to regulate the heck out of it. Why are they so good at some things and so bad at others? Every strength is a weakness. Achilles had his heel, right? I think, I think that's how it comes out. The EU likes to play things more how they used to be. So that, there's a lot of stuff they've done also with regulating the internet or trying to change certain things, uh, helping publishers versus hurting platforms, et cetera, that I would say are negative. I think a lot of what they've done on the, on the individual rights side is positive, but I think a lot of it's negative. Um, in, terms of, in terms of regulations there, I think when it comes to, to bio, biotech, biogenetics, et cetera, the, the countries that win will be the ones that have less regulation and are willing to are willing to go through a little bit more uh, a little bit more struggle so to speak to get there if you're trying to set up driverless cars and somebody gets run over that is that's enough to shut down the entire driverless car industry in the country well 
that country is not going to have a chance. If you have to deal with, I think in the U.S. a lot of it is a lot of it is uh, religious and Christian norms. But if you have to go against that for the biotech industry, we had the longest fight for the longest time in terms of just being able to do any type of stem cell engineering, which I think stem cells hold a lot of promise now that they're able to manufacture stem cells as opposed to have have um, in vitro stem cells from embryos. It's it's come a long way in the U.S., but still. There's, there's a pretty big backlash and those those type of ethical issues held back the US where they sure as heck didn't hold back they sure as heck didn't hold back China. No, it's, it's, it's a really good point. And along the same line, I know you asked me a question for your podcast and I'll ask you the same question. Do you think that we're going to spawn a uh, reality where people in people of means will be doing a health tourism that they'll be going to other countries to receive the therapies that are innovated in China or someplace else or not regulated to death. Do you think that that's a reality? I think it's a eventuality. I think it will definitely happen. I would go one step further to say those same individuals. If, if I look at what I understand now with the, the genetic engineering space, where we're headed, what we understand in terms of life expectancy. So it's just an experiment. Go, go somewhere. It's horrible to say, but walk into walk into certain restaurants, places, et cetera, and you feel like you're dealing with people that are a different species. The information you're taking in, the, the nutrition you're putting into your body, and the exercise that you have, and the people around you. But I think we're already becoming, we're already separating in terms of what it means to be human. And I think once we're able to edit genetics, we're able to look at people's specific DNA, we're able to look at specific expressions of epigenetics, we're able to do more analysis and then add enhancements to people. I think it's pretty straightforward to say we're going to move into a, into a multitude of species of human. When you have the rich that are able to enhance themselves, become smarter, faster, et cetera, they're not going to be that interested with people that are boring. Their intelligence is 100 IQ points lower. They're not rich. They're not going to live extended periods of time. We'll see, uh, a, so to speak, um, breeding between elites into a, into a Superman type situation. I don't think that's that far off because genetic engineering is super expensive. You can only have access to this stuff if A, you know people, and B, you have money. Obviously, costs come down. That's what happens with every new technology. Computers used to be incredibly expensive, cars, etc. But the question is, what is that escape velocity for the difference in genetic improvement? Is it one generation, two generations, three years, five years, 100 years? I don't know. But the shorter that time horizon is in terms of how quickly these advances are able to happen, especially if we're able to edit existing existing um, individuals. So it's different if you're using a gene drive. So my son will have these great traits and his son will have these great traits. But if I'm able to enhance myself and then also pass those on to my offspring, then you don't have to wait for a generational change. You're looking at an era. You're looking at a people that are vastly less equal than, than they are today. Well, wow, that, that's, that's an interesting take. I, I, you know, just to go back to your first part um, there about, you know, different places where you can kind of see different groups of people that really, you know, split out. Um, you know, I, I do what's called shopping cart profiling. I, I can go to the grocery store and tell you a lot about somebody by just seeing their shopping cart. Um, I think that th- that a lot of this does have access to information and how people allow information to shape their choices. And you know, you talk about diet, exercise, all these things. I think that um, that those splits and those bifurcations are going to become more and more um, visible, and more and more augmented based upon economic uh, means and more economic um, availability. And and 
and, and this idea of traveling somewhere to get, you know, to have other options. Uh, do you imagine even complete nations where people will go because they just prefer to be in a place that has a different uh, philosophy towards um, accelerating technology? I think definitely. Um, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. If you could up your average, if you can make it more like you want to be, the people that understand that are willing to do that. The ones that don't, well, we've seen what happens. I, I think that will definitely be something that happens. The question is where. I I don't know if it'll be China, just because a lot of the a lot of the individuals that would want to have these type of opportunities available to them wouldn't necessarily want to live with those type of restrictions. But uh, a Bangkok, a Singapore, etc. I could see that I could see that being a place that advances pretty quickly. And as biotech, as biotech will probably be the the computing of of this century, I could see those countries becoming extremely powerful and wealthy. So how do I do a better job as a professor? So I'm here teaching and training the next generation of scientists and the next generation of students uh, who may be in different disciplines. What are they missing from their toolbox? that will allow them to embrace the accelerating pace of uh, technology and its application. So I had, I had a uh, Thomas, I think it was Thomas Frey that said it. Uh, um, I had, uh, I had one of the leading futurists on, on the fringe.fm podcast. You guys can check it out fringe.fm. And he had a, he had a really interesting quote and it was, we walk into the future looking backwards. The only thing we've ever known is the past. So the only thing we can conceptualize is the past. And yet, even if you look back, I think it's 13 years. We didn't have iPhones. We didn't have smartphones. The internet was barely a thing. We couldn't hail a cab from our phone. We couldn't do all of these things. Forecast forward 13 years. Now think about the fact that all technology is accelerating. I would say you just have to think bigger and faster and look at the intersections of where things are happening. I, I like to say it doesn't take 10x the effort to, to create 10x the results. It just takes thinking slightly different and doing slightly different things. And I think for students, that's incredibly important. So the, the, industries, the industries that we're talking about right now are going to be massively transformational for humanity going forward. And I think anyone who's in university thinking about getting a job and working at a company, A, if it's an existing company, you're probably not going to be doing that much true innovation. And B, what would be the what would be the exponential changes or things that you would like to create? So if you have these type of skill sets, maybe you can go and start a startup that becomes the next trillion dollar company. I don't think we're talking billion dollar companies. I think with, with human health, people have wanted to live longer since forever. They've wanted to be smarter, sexier, et cetera, since forever. There is no limit to the amount of value creation from improving the human experience. So I would say for, for students to just think bigger, about what could be and how they can be a part of that is the biggest takeaway I would have. Uh, last week, I had a chance to talk to high school seniors, and uh, I said to them that the job you will take has not been invented yet. Um, you know, the job you will take out of, out of college, and that's looking at that five-year time horizon. And most of them looked at me like I was from outer space, but... I, I sincerely believe that. And I think that students who are um, looking at a traditional, you know, desk job at the end of college and, and moving into some sort of, you know, whatever, you know, accounting firm or whatever you do, 
um, I think they're in for a rude awakening. I think they're going to go into a world where the innovators and the people who are thinking one step ahead are the ones who really are the ones who um, are wanted and, and who are not dependent upon another uh, old business model, but are defining the next edge. Completely agree. And I think it's really dangerous the way that the U.S. is uh, mortgaging the future with uh, the student debt, how much it costs to go to college, and the fact that a lot of these students have no, if they're studying biotech, that's a different story. But for the vast majority of kids going to college, they're studying something that is at best uh, a maturing process. It's not necessarily anything that will be relevant for their future careers. And I think it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because being a professor at a university, um, I get students who complain because, well, you didn't give us enough facts. What's all this thinking you're making us do? What do you mean we have to write the essay? And and I don't know, I, I would be bored to tears standing in front of a room and lecturing the whole time that I want to know, you know, what do you think? And why do you think that way? And wh- what makes you feel that that's the right answer? You know, how would you do it differently if you could do it? And they'll say, you know, and I'll put on my exam, you know, there's no right answer on this. And they'll say, well, how can you grade it if there's no right answer? I was like, well, this is more right than yours, you know. <laughs> but it's, I think there's such a... Um, sterility in the linear thought process of most people and most students that we have to be training them to be thinking on that edge and what the next big thing could be and 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 how do how do we do that more efficiently and how are places that are succeeding in those areas doing it google knows everything when it comes to stats so you should just stop trying to remember stats ai will crush you if it comes to anything related to that i remember i had a professor in college and there was one exam he must have been a new professor and one of the questions on there was a material science question and it asked is xyz x y or it listed out a couple of different types of of materials and the answer he wanted was for you to not circle any of them so that was majorly thinking outside the box he eventually had to he eventually had to give people points on points on it because they could almost everyone got it wrong you couldn't figure that out but i think that i think what you're doing in terms of getting people to think outside the box and getting them to be creative i think that will be the the job skill going forward is the ability to create innovate take what there is talk about the discussion uh the the pot, the pros the cons etc and then make the make the important yet impossible decisions I think that's where we're headed. You had a question and I got totally distracted. I'm a little ADD. So what was that one? Oh, I don't remember either. <laughs> that means I must be doing a great job talking. No, no, you're doing great. I mean, this is fantastic. And I, I guess the other thing that I think about is, you know, you've been a guy who's, you know, started uh, a couple businesses here and there and, and had some success in that area. People who are thinking about um, moving into startup space in, in the modern environment, um, especially in something like biotech, you know, what's the best advice for people who uh, really have, think they have a great idea, think that they want to move it to market um, in, a, in a startup context? You know, what are the first steps that you really have to take to do that and do it right? I think it's going to depend on the industry, but the most important thing before you build anything, before you go nuts and you design the logo and get the website and everything, figure out if people want this, if this matters, if it's a B2B solution, find out if businesses will pay for it. Don't just ask them, get them to pay for it, then build it. If it's a consumer facing product, make sure you're not asking your mom, your dad, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Make sure the questions that you're asking are not leading questions like, wouldn't it be great if I could give you a pill and suddenly you'd have six pack abs? Everyone's going to say yes to that. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to buy your pill and it doesn't necessarily mean that your pill works. 
I think you need to think about what it is you're selling and why you're creating it. That would be the most important thing. Now, in terms of what to do from a career perspective, I think there's, I think there's three possible routes. There's the, there's the university route, which I personally wouldn't recommend if you want to get into startups. I think the university route is something very different. You could look at joining an existing startup. There are some really interesting startups jumping into the space. Just make sure you're not joining a Theranos. And then you could look at joining a corporate career. Now, in terms of what you would do there, if you want to get into startups, I think it's very important to avoid the golden handcuffs situation of, God, I'm making so much money at Monsanto and I really want to go do this innovative business, but I can't do it because I'm just making so much money and I'm married and my wife likes her car and we have this, we have this yellow brick road with nice white fence around our house, et cetera. I think you've got to be able to take the risk. So if you are going to go that route, make sure you decide ahead of time what you want and reevaluate every year. Because I think people fall into a path where they start doing something, you put on those horse blinders and very rarely do you take them off and look around and be like, hmm, I don't know if this is actually what I wanted. So I, that, that would be my advice for people is to really think about what it is, why you want it, and then find out if that's something other people actually want. You're probably going to need some money if it's a biotech thing. If you can hack it together, that would be great. If you can't, then look at, look at finding some angel investors, maybe joining uh, an incubator, an accelerator, like a Y Combinator, a Techstars, et cetera. If you've got something super interesting, I run, a, I run an angel investment syndicate, the syndicate.vc, so you can reach out and maybe we'll be able to fund you or connect you with somebody, somebody helpful, but... Yeah, find the people in the industry and then don't, don't try to reinvent the wheel. See what other people have done. And, and that's pretty cool advice. And especially, you know, we're here at Talking Biotech Podcast. And one of the places where you've just seen an explosion in, um, in uh, startups is in the gene editing space. Uh, nobody knows how it's going to be regulated. Nobody knows who owns the technology. And it's kind of the wild west of this really cool tool that we can use to make prescribed changes in DNA. And what do you see the future for this being? I mean, will they all ultimately be Amazon and Apple? Sure, hope not. I imagine those companies will certainly try to acquire these type of companies. Now, how it will turn out, I don't think it will turn out that way. And the reason, the reason why is partially, partially head and partially heart. The heart side's obvious enough. On the head side, I think there's going to be a lot of companies, and there are a lot of companies that are focused on thing. I think just the nature of the healthcare space is very different. If Google, if Apple try to jump into the healthcare space, Apple might have a chance for what they're doing now. They're clearly trying as hard as they can with the Apple Watch to get into that space. I think Amazon would be in a better position, but Google, Facebook, God, Facebook, no one wants Facebook to have your data. So, but in terms of in terms of healthcare, it's a it's a very different space. The regulatory environment. I think you have to combine. You, you, you can't go traditional healthcare type mentality of we're going to do this and we're going to go through all of these processes and we're going to go through 10 years of testing before we ever try something because there will be other things on the market, whether they're on the market in the U.S. or they're on the market somewhere else. It really doesn't matter for the, the rich people that want access to it. They're willing to do whatever it takes. So they'll fly over to China, Singapore, Hong Kong, et cetera, to get those types of procedures done. I think you need to, you need to move fast, but you have to also make sure that you're not don't commit fraud. Theranos was, was ridiculous fraud. And don't, don't put people's lives at risk. I think if you're doing something like genetic editing, there can be some major, major problems. I would, I would focus on figuring out what it is you're doing, which is a hard enough when it comes to understanding specific DNA. But yeah, what could be, 
an interesting thought experiment is what will this look like in the future? Will this be one company, two companies, five companies? Will this be something where you can do this on your home on a computer? Is this going to be like an Amazon marketplace where you can buy a gene edit? You can plug in a USB thing and it injects something into your arm. Is this going to be something you do at a doctor's clinic, et cetera? Think about that in reference to the types of technologies that listeners are thinking about building. And if you can think about further and further and further out what it would look like, build that thing. Don't build the one or two step thing. Think about the, the further distance. If you build the platform that all other genetic editing, genetic uh, sequencing, genetic, um, okay, that's the only tool I can think of off the top of my head. Well, editing, genetic, right? Yeah, editing. If you're going to build the, the platform that those companies are based off of, the, the platform, the demand, that's where, that's where the real business model is at. So if you built the platform where you could connect genetic editing companies with uh, genetic sequencing companies with people interested in genetic editing, that alone right there, I imagine, would be incredibly valuable. Now, what you could do with that, I imagine all of the people that are interested in genetic editing are also interested in health and nutrition. They're also interested in diet and training. They're also interested in medical tourism. Maybe you have that platform, you aggregate all the demand, and then you're able to offer these different types of packages. You could probably do a ton of affiliate sales of Bulletproof Coffee. You can do all of these things, and you're in a position where you control what the market is, and as opposed to trying to create the, the exact business that does the, the testing, et cetera. So it doesn't necessarily have to be pure science for you to be playing in the space and making a big difference. I, yeah, yeah, I talked around a little bit. Oh, that's good. Um, I'm actually getting down towards, uh, towards uh, my go time. So is there anything else that I should ask you that you think would be a good question to wrap it up? I think the biggest thing and what I'm the most excited about is how not only the exponential technologies that we're living in, uh, the eras that we're living in, but also the exponential abilities of individuals. You see individuals now and I was able to build some decent businesses as a one person team with some distributed employees around the world. And you see very similar things. Uh, I imagine a lot of you guys, if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you like Tim Ferriss. He's got like a three person team. He has a massive podcast, a massive audience, massive reach and massive impact. And I think you can do very similar things in a lot of industries. So what I would want to leave people with is the fact that you can change the world if you work on the right types of things. I think obsession is more important than passion. So if you're obsessed about a certain problem and other people suffer from that same problem, then by all means, go for it. And you can probably accomplish a hell of a lot more than you think you can. So don't set your goal at making $100,000 a year. Don't even set your goal at making a million dollars a year. Set your goal at serving a million people a year or something absurdly outlandish because it will make you think a little bit differently about how you build what you're building and it's not going to take that much effort for you to change the world in a significantly larger way, especially with, with the biotech space of, oh, we, we, um, we designed some new type of, of genetic test. We designed some new type of editing process. We create something, et cetera. You're able to impact, in essence, all of humanity, all of agritech, all of the clean meat industry. You're able to do things at a very, very large scale because you're working with something that's, in essence, infinitely uh, infinitely duplicatable. Well, and that, and that makes so much sense. And I think it's exactly the opposite of the way that the companies and the people involved in a lot of the scientific areas are thinking. And, and especially companies that are, have to do these quarterly to quarterly uh, goals and, uh, you know, invest, investors looking for um, quarterly reports that are on the money. You sometimes can't look big and can't think really huge, especially in a strangling regulatory climate. And so, so that, that's great advice. Um, 
if people wanted to learn more about you or listen to your podcast or follow you in social media, where would they go? Okay, so I have two podcasts. One focus on exponential technologies. It's a bit like this. It's a long form TED. So I get the same caliber of speakers on, but for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, where we talk about the ridiculous future we're all headed towards and how to make it even better. That's fringe.fm, fringe.fm. You can find us in all major podcasting apps. And then I also run the syndicate, which is an investment group and a podcast focused on early stage investing, angel investing, venture capital that you can find at the syndicate.vc. If you're interested in learning more about the process that goes into startup investing, if you've got a startup that you're interested in getting funding, et cetera, the syndicate.vc. And then on Twitter, I'm at, at, it's, at, it's Matt Ward. I know it's a terrible one, but when your <laughs> name is Matt Ward, there's a lot of guys named Matt Ward. It creates problems with, the, with all of the profile names. So it's at, it's Matt Ward on Twitter. Awesome. Well, so Matt Ward, thank you so much for joining me and, uh, you know, best wishes going forward and let's do this again sometime. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks, Kevin, and have an awesome day. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. As always, really appreciate your listenership and really do appreciate any feedback and any ideas you have in terms of future guests or other ideas. A lot of what we'll see in the next few months is really centered around synthetic biology, a hot new area that will be very exciting to explore. So thank you for listening. Tell a friend and share the stories of science. Talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.